You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Hello, Christians. This is your weekly or bi-weekly um, trigger, no, not trigger warning, your warning that if you don't want to hear us talk for 15 <laughs> minutes straight, you can go ahead and skip at least probably like eight to 10 minutes. I'm going to say since Evan and I haven't seen each other in a bit, mm-hmm. you might probably get away easy. with 15. Yeah. Um, we got some stuff to talk about and yeah. uh, we never really actually know what we're going to talk about. We just start talking and then we don't stop. So. We like talking so much that we're probably going to start producing a segment that's literally just us talking about whatever and And you know what it's going to be enjoyable content because we can talk about anything you want to talk about like a cat's litter box there you go you got a half hour worth of content let me tell you i have to empty the litter box and that and i first of all do you feel like you're sifting for gold is that just a me thing or does everybody feel that way i'm sure everybody feels that way but I actually don't ever have to do anything with the litter box because when we got our cats, David and I had an agreement Mm -hmm. that I would feed them every day, I would give them their treats, I would give them their water every day. All he has to do is take care of the litter box. I'll take care of everything else. I'll brush them, all of that. So that's how it's been. All these years later, he he only has to worry about the litter box. I take care of everything else. Wow. Because I hate fucking (laughs) litter boxes. I hate them more than anything. I don't know how, I mean, I guess it's fair because for the first three years that we had the cat, four years really, I did not touch that litter box once because I Samantha grew up with cats, so I didn't care. If and I hate it, it makes me nauseous. It is the worst <laughs> thing that has ever existed. It doesn't like, bother me now. I, nope, nope. I'm the one who gets stuck doing it all the time. I guess she's she's gone on strike now. To be fair, she does a lot more with the children, so I yeah. think she's kind of like you can fucking clean the litter box. Yeah, That's probably. Fair. Probably. It I is. went on a strike a little bit because David's been um, busy doing a lot of drag stuff, and I've yeah. kind of been taking over the reins on like <laughs> making sure the dishes are done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And like, there was just one day where I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. And I literally went like a whole week without doing any dishes and they just piled and piled. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is how this is going to be. <laughs> if I don't do it, it's just not going to happen. It's just okay. not going to happen. Also, I love our ability to suddenly take one, like two words and, and run off an entire tangent on them, like litter box. And then here we are. We told you we could talk about anything. <laughs> this is why. See, somebody <laughs> needs to either A, give us a reality show or give us like a comedy show. <laughs> like Portlandia and just say like make these characters and just run with it and we'll record it Mm -hmm. and it'll be gold what was a show oh my god there was a oh you gave it to me what's that movie that you told me um, um, bad trip bad trip oh my god the that scene was the funniest <laughs> show I have seen since White Chicks, which is ironic because they reference, they reference White Chicks it. so At much the end in the movie <laughs> okay um, um, spoiler alert <clears throat> You're, we got either between 30 seconds to five minutes about talking about this movie. <laughs> Just know that we're going to stop when we stop. And if you haven't seen it, go fucking watch it right now. Pause this episode. Go watch I it. I mean, it's back. a comedy. So you don't it's like if you spoil something, it's not that bad. It's still funny. when she 
ripped the car, the police car door off and stole the police car. I'm like Im- imagining in my head, like what would I have done in that situation? Like <laughs> nothing. Like I would everybody. Oh, I wouldn't have done. I would have been like, oh, oh my god. I would have been like, yes, bitch, you can do it. I would have been screaming. I don't know. I would have been freaking out. That my. My favorite part of this like show was when she's dangling him off the side of the building. <laughs> but everybody below, one like two people are trying to stop her from dropping this man to his death, supposedly. And everybody else is just eating their nachos from the nachos <laughs> truck. <laughs> Nobody's calling the police. Nobody's got any urgency. They're just watching this happen. <laughs> Literally, that was the... Oh my God, that movie was... I don't know. I haven't laughed that much in I don't know how long. It's such a brilliant concept because though if you don't know, the movie is it is a, a movie, but all the extras in the movie don't know they're an extra. It's kind of like Bad Grandpa if you've ever seen Bad Grandpa. Yeah, but it's better than Bad it's Grandpa. Much, it's significantly Way better. Yeah, because I watched Gran- Bad Grandpa because I like that idea, but I just didn't come off right. well. But this was really good because... There's outrageous scenes, which if it was a traditional movie, I wouldn't find funny. But right. the fact that I know that the extras are genuinely horrified, like the gorilla scene. Oh my God, he, the gorilla scene. He gets scene? attacked by a gorilla. I'm putting that nicely. He gets attacked by a gorilla. <laughs> in that, in a regular movie, I wouldn't have thought that was funny. Right, but in no. this movie, if I can you imagine being in the zoo and watching someone get attacked? No. I mean, it cracked me up. I would have been like, Damn! <laughs> it's so Damn. aggressive and so violent, but also everybody just keeps standing there. Everybody is just in shock. I'm like, <laughs> nobody tried to help in any of the scenes. Like, well, nobody's gonna go in there. Oh no, no. But, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh. god! The, the day when he comes out the first time from the gorilla cage, and he's oh, like, he "I'm go- trying to, I'm trying to get to this girl. I love her." And the one lady's like. Honey, you can't do this. You need to stop. And he's like, all right, I just got to get my cell phone. She's like, no, honey, she's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> so anyways. Another great movie if you haven't watched it yet what? is Thunder Force. We just watched it last night with oh the kids. Oh, my God. Kids liked it. I was like, this is a, an Evan and I movie. It was. Like, put Evan and I, we would be the same exact fucking dumb shit. <laughs> getting out of the car in slow motion, trying to squeeze that into the car. Great. like. You know, that movie got a bad rap, and I think that's bullshit. Like, everyone's like, Melissa McCarthy has another failure. People oh, don't. Fuck off. It was self degrading. What's it called? Self degrading. Degrading? Self degrading? Degrading? Yeah, something I, like that. I that humor of like. Yeah. You, it's over the top making fun of yourself in a, yeah. in a way that is like family, not family friendly, making fun of yourself in a way that like is funny. Yeah. I don't know. Like, that's my total vibe. Like, that's me to a T. I yeah. love those kind of movies. I like the, it's got, if it's outrageous, it has to be so outrageous that like it, it becomes funny. Like the, like Jason Bateman with his crab hands. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. Like when he holds the, lo- the little cup. <laughs> <laughs> and he has that little cloth at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so that stuff, like you, there, there has to be those extremes. Anyway, so they're both on Netflix right now. Bad Trip and, and Thunder Force, which none, also, of, none of it's queer, but it's funny. No, it's funny as fuck. And another... I finally watched I Care A Lot. Oh, Oh, yeah. my fucking that is queer. God. Three movies that highly come, rec- come highly recommended. I Care A Lot. It, 
the twists, the turns. Mm -hmm. I constantly was like, oh, this person finally won. Then I'm like, no, this person won. <laughs> and it just kept going. And I was like, it just got more dark and dark. And then boom. You know what I liked about that? <clears throat> I, care, I care a lot because it was a diverse group of characters and just like a lot of, of, of like, um, identities that you don't actually even see in most television, but that wasn't, none of that was central. That was just, it just was, it was just people existing and they were horrible people that existed and yep. did horrible things and they, they just were, you know, yep. um, they weren't over the top characters. They were just yeah. living their lives and, and their, and were. their, their identity was not why they were a bad person. Right. They were just a bad person who also happened to have a disability or who also happened to be gay or who also right. happened, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that would just was. Yep. And it was nice to see. It wasn't like the fucking lesbian neighbors or like the you know they, it wasn't a, an overplayed stereotype they're yeah. not at a lesbian bar wearing flannel and like you know they just existed like they you just, said yeah so anyways netflix crushing it i um, know good for that um and the circle just came back for season two i haven't well, i know nothing about the circle the circle's so. good um netflix is doing good i don't know i think they were like listen everybody's going to paramount plus everybody's going to disney plus everybody's yeah. going to all these other streaming services we gotta fucking step it up yeah well that's great and honestly disney plus hasn't done diddly shit i haven't I'm, ever had it except I'm, for the mandalorian i will not curse the mandalorian but other than that <laughs> i think disney plus is just great for like you know you have kids so you, yeah they can watch their disney movies and disney shows and stuff i am know. excited about all the star wars um series that series is the star wars series that they're doing but i mean you know i'm a mm -hmm. huge star wars fan so naturally right. i am excited about that but on to be honest even with our kids if it wasn't for the star wars content we wouldn't have disney plus because wow. it just doesn't it just doesn't got it would they get plenty of movies on other things well yeah and i think yeah. disney shows were great for for like when i was a kid yeah. but now there's so much other content out there like especially netflix like w they can see themselves as actual people yeah. like you can watch netflix series of people in middle school and people in high school and it's relatable you're like yeah, yeah that was actually how high school was like like yeah. Ginny and georgia i don't know if you ever started no that. but i've heard a lot about it <clears throat> um it's definitely for more of like uh, probably teenage girls. Yeah. But it still has like some good backstory with the mom and stuff. I don't know. It's one of those shows that like you can either watch as a teenager or as an adult and find something that yeah. you connect with. Hmm. So I just feel like the old Disney shows just were too soft for yeah. modern people. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just very much in the same patterns of here's a princess and she gets rescued by a prince yep. and here's another movie about a princess who gets rescued by this a prince. This one was sleeping though when she got kissed. <laughs> and this one was turned into a mermaid yep. and this one was also sleeping after she ate an apple. A lot of the same things. For a long time they got away with that. Yeah. Like 50 years they got away with <laughs> yep. that. Here's the same story. We're just going to, you know, this time we're in uh, a different country. This time we have seven dwarfs. This time we have some animals. Um, yeah. This time we have a woman who turns into a dragon as the, the main villain. But it's the same concept. Same concept. You know, we'll introduce a black character, but she's going to fall in love with a frog. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Pixar does pretty good, though. And mm -hmm. so whoever's doing Pixar is good. But whatever. Um, this is now turned into our movie review. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Is there anything happen. else that's going on with you? Um, Love my job. I feel great. I'm really finally for the first time working somewhere where I am com like... I'm I'm me. I'm not like yeah. robot Paul coming in to punch a card and 
work and then be like, oh my God, thank God I'm out of work. Like yeah. I genuinely enjoy my work. Um, I put a lot of heart and soul into it and I really try my best. And I can't say that I always did that for every other job because I really hated them. So yeah. I, I get it. I mean, same thing. I love my job. I, and it is like, it is very empowering when you're in a place where you're seen because then you can do so much more. I mean, yeah. I don't know. That's just been such a big thing to me. Like my queer identity matters a lot to me at work. Obviously I'm an LGBTQ right. advocate educator, but it just, it was, it was crazy to me how it turned around. Also coming into that environment at, in my trans identity, whereas in my previous work I had transitioned and I was constantly trying to fight right. this, these warring ideas and identities. But here I just am myself yep. and that's nice. And that's how I feel. I feel very much like, <laughs> and it's funny when I'm in the office because when I'm just around either David or you or like my friends, I just feel so regular but then when I go into the office around all these straight people I'm like I'm gay as fuck <laughs> and like I just really notice it like yeah. I, I don't think I ever un like in a day to day life I exist in such a <laughs> queer world and I mm -hmm. do so much like with this podcast and like all of these queer things like recording David doing drag just all this stuff and then when I yeah. go into the office I'm like oh okay well I'm not gonna tone it down for you motherfuckers cause oh, no. I'm here but, yeah. but it, I it's really eye-opening <laughs> it is i yeah we get so submerged in our subculture that it's really hard like i do these lgbtq 101s which to me seems so basic so basic that i'm just like i i sometimes i want to claw my face off because i'm like really i'm telling you what the the word lesbian means i'm telling you what the word um you know it, it what a um an asexual person is like i'm basic right and and i will have still have questions in there and people ask me and i'll be like really that's that's the question huh you don't know wow. okay i mean and obviously i don't answer it that way i you know i understand people aren't educated but i forget how uneducated people are about queer issues right. and queer culture because mm -hmm. they don't live it no and they don't live it and it's not taught it's yeah. just a world unless you're yeah. exposed to it you have no idea exactly it'd be like me going to another country and being like what the fuck is going on what am i <laughs> exactly. supposed to do yeah that's true so yeah, are we gonna get to our episode yep. today? Hey, or? Guess what? If you skip to fifteen minutes, you're gonna miss a whole minute of introduction to this episode. So, yeah, so we did pretty good. We did pretty good. I'm proud of us, considering the fact that we haven't seen each other and haven't really talked. Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of us. Let me just find my episode on here. <laughs> Gotta get through all my files. I know our Google our, our drive is growing. I'm like constantly yeah, looking for things now. I'm like have to oh. pay for more things, for more space. We I might look for another alternative. Oh my god, are you gonna make us transfer everything? I do not want to do that. Oh well, fine. Well, I'm just saying I'm used to uploading to all my strips to Google you know what? Drive. You're you're used to it. You have a, an issue with technology. I'll keep that in mind. I, I'll keep I'll keep it simple and stupid for you. You know what? You say what you want, but my technology has grown. I've built you've a website this year. I you've edited the last podcast. You've done a lot. Yeah. I will say you've I remember you didn't even like know how to turn on a cell phone before. So you've done <laughs> you've done really well. I don't know if it's quite that bad, but I definitely didn't know how to do like 75% of the stuff that I've had to learn how to do in the last year. But don't you feel so empowered by oh, learning yeah, it? Yeah. Because now you're like, if I need to do something, I'll fucking do it. The f yeah, I do. I definitely, I've learned a lot more too about learning how to do stuff, like where I can get the resources. YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Like Anything I I've ever wanted to <laughs> learn. I learned how to do my whole fucking job on YouTube. Yeah. It's. 
it's crazy like so like last year or in december for world aids day we were gonna put together i'm on a coalition and we were gonna put out a video for world aids day and i was like yeah i'll edit the video now my video editing had been limited to the iphone video editing mm -hmm. app but i was like i'll just figure it out and i did i went on youtube i figured out how everything i needed to do it came out great yeah um now I would do it even better, but then right. like, that's what I mean. Like I, there's so many times in my job in the last year, especially where I didn't know how to do something and I Googled it. I looked it up on YouTube. I found something, a resource. That's mm -hmm. a wonderful thing about the internet. Yes. Our generation and the next generation have more resources than mm -hmm. any previous generation. And I really encourage everyone to take the fucking reins because nobody's going to get you out of wherever you're at except for yourself. And, um, Evan and I both have learned on our own and look where mm -hmm. we're at now. We both were at a shitty fucking retail job that we hated. We said, you know what? Let's just do our own thing and learn. And here we mm -hmm. are now, both yeah. in positions we really love. So just take the reins because nobody's going to do it for you. Take the reins, educate yourself. <clears throat> Anyways, so, yeah, we've gone through cat litter, <laughs> inspirational movies. movies, Netflix, Star Wars. Let's fucking talk about the Janus Society and Dewey's. Yeah, let's get into queer history. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? <clears throat> this Sunday marks the 56th anniversary of the Dewey Lunch Counter sit-ins, an infamous moment in queer history when gender-diverse youth challenged their exclusion from an American diner. Four years before Stonewall and the formal gay rights movement broke into mainstream consciousness, queer revolutionaries were already preparing for battle. From the formation of the Janus Society to the distribution of Drum Magazine, queer culture thrived in Philadelphia. Today we're heading to the city of brotherly love to discuss a place rich in history, but especially LGBTQ plus history. Uh, Philadelphia, I've said it before, was mm. second favorite city in America. I do really enjoy Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I really like their little market area. That yeah. little spot to me, I'm like, I could go there every day. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know why I found out why I, I finally realized part of the reason I think I love Philadelphia is because in some weird ways, it reminds me of Chicago. Like in a different way. I can see that. But no, I can see that yeah. because everything... Like when I was in Philly, I could go anywhere I wanted. Like when you're exactly. in Chicago, you can go anywhere you want. You just want. walk wherever. It's yeah. in that, it's in that in, downtown in area. In other cities like Boston and that, it's just too chaotic. Like yeah. it's like a, it's a city, but it's accessible. Exactly. Yeah. And all the other cities you got to get on. It's the, fucking insane. The, the and you're spending like a hundred dollars oh to get God, somewhere. So mm -mm. Also, there's all the museums. Like Chicago has a lot of great museums mm -hmm. and so does Philly. And then there's good history in there. And it's, it's queer, but what I call it is like, it's a... It's a common person's queer. Like Boston and New York is a very white, rich queer. Yes. And Philadelphia and Chicago is a very like really yeah, yeah, yeah. real queer. Like people of color, diverse um, genders, diverse identities. Uh, the, it's just all so well-rounded. Yeah. And that's why I love it. I agree. So the state of Pennsylvania has always been a battleground between radicals and conservatives. This dates back to the early days of colonization when William Penn bought some land in 18 uh, bought some land in 1683 from the indigenous Lenape tribe, also known as the Delaware people. Penn's relationship with the surrounding natives was amicable and even friendly and fair as the two groups traded their assets with one another. But when the elder leader's health began to fail, his sons quickly moved to cheat the natives of their land. 
Pin's death in 1718 opened the Lenape. It's it's Lenape, it's but it's spe- like pronounced quicker. So like Lenape, mm-hmm. Lenape, I don't know. It's like Obikafel where you have to yeah. say it over and over again. The Lenape people to two centuries of broken treaties, withering violence, and several kidnappings and forced removals. Though the tribe held their own for some time and valiantly fought back, as more colonizers arrived in the supposed new world, eventually the Lenape were outnumbered and removed from their land permanently. Still, for nearly 50 years, the people of Pennsylvania had established a foundation of reform. Penn's colony defied the laws and traditions of other groups, allowing for religious tolerance and fair trade with the natives. It even boasts today of having the first formal declaration against slavery in America, though nothing ever came of the 1688 petition to end slavery. Yet, it was the spirit of resistance and tolerance that infused itself into the area's core and gave birth to the city of Philadelphia. Philly became a beacon on a frontier that was hundreds of miles from any other major city. Libraries, schools, and businesses sprang up, and when a young inventor named Ben Franklin showed up in 1723, he helped raise money to start the first hospital in the colonies. Science and religion seemed to work together hand in hand in this odd city that was so different than her siblings. So Philly was like the first Chicago because we talk about how Chicago is this isolated area (laughs) in the Midwest. And before you had that, before you had the Western expansion, Philadelphia was that city. Mm -hmm. It was just randomly out there, but it was so progressive. And part of that was because of the religious tolerance, because every other colony came over and immediately was like, we're only letting Puritans here. We're only letting Catholics here. And in Philadelphia, William Penn let everyone. I mean, this was one of the first places where Jews could come to America. It was the first places where, where Catholics could mixed with other religious groups and so that really lent a big deal and then the fact that he started off with such a good relationship with the natives of the land that also helped to their culture fortunately of course people fucked that up but yeah he he like everyone else was just coming in they were declaring land was theirs and william penn actually bought the land he made an agreement with it he kept that for like i said about 50 years and all of that really so again you have this place where There are a lot of conservatives, but there are a lot of progressives like Ben Franklin, and that's why revolution took off in this area. So throughout the centuries, Philly continued as a bastion of hope in dark times. It was in the city that the flames of the American Revolution were fanned, and later it was here that the abolition movement took root and gave a platform to black leaders within the movement's ranks. Again, a very big difference about Philadelphia because in Boston and and other areas on the East Coast, you had the abolitionist movement, but it was all led by white men. And in Philadelphia, it was more of a mix of black and white leaders. By 1890, Philadelphia would hold the largest black population of any northern U.S. city, and more than 25% of the city was comprised of immigrants. Poor, working-class people flocked to what they still saw as a haven of liberty and tolerance, even as conditions in the city deteriorated due to capitalist greed. As is often the case, in these communities, queer cultures thrived. Like immigrants and people of color, LGBTQ folks have found comfort in spaces where they don't suffer under harsh individual scrutiny. They band together to survive and fight back against their oppressors. Unfortunately, their lives are difficult and resources are often cut off from these areas because of the populations that inhabit them. Yet still, our communities find a way to fight another day. By the 1930s, Philly was a hotbed of queer activity with a thriving underground. In Center City, LGBTQ plus folks were drawn to the art, fashion, and the entire subculture of the larger downtown area. So many queer men settled in the apartment complexes on Spruce Street that the term Spruce Street Boy became a Philadelphian euphemism for gay. 
During this time, Dewey's Restaurant opened its first diner about 60 miles outside of the city. Within a few years, the restaurant had expanded into a chain and two Dewey's Restaurants were established in Philadelphia. One sat on 217th 217 17th Street. Who the <laughs> fuck named because that Because of road? Philly, they just, they're just like, this is one street, two street, three street, and they just kept going. <laughs> but then you also have the house numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many people did not, have not gotten their packages because somebody just fucked 217, up. 217, 17. I'm sorry, did you say 217 Street? No, 217, 17. <laughs> <laughs> and one, uh, and the other set at 208, 13th Street in the heart of Center City. So not only that, it's 208, 13th Street. 13 and center. You don't get it? How do you not get that? I mean, as clear as I can possibly be. <laughs> the popular diner, along with several other coffee shops and jazz joints in Rittenhouse Square, became favorite of the Philadelphia queers. That sounds so fun. Oh, yeah. It was. I mean, we and we've talked a lot about like that era, the 20s mm -hmm. and 30s in America, where it seemed like for a little bit, you know, queer culture really thrived. And you, you know, again, you couldn't walk down the hands the, or walk down the street holding hands with someone of the same sex. You couldn't walk down the street wearing a dress if you weren't considered of that gender. But there was also very much like the Spruce Street Boys. Like right. everybody like, oh, you must be a Spruce Street Boys. Like it was the secret that everybody knew. And right. it was like, as long as you keep it to a certain yeah. level, we'll be okay with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and today that's not something that we would accept. But in 1920, 1930, that right. was freedom. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So one reason many LGBTQ folks preferred coffee houses and diners to the bars and clubs was due to the latter's increased mob dominance and continuous police raids. So like yeah. all other, so many other places, the mob comes in, they take control, the police come in. The more Center City became known for its queer subculture, the more police searched for targets for their violence. And just like it was in New York and other cities, in order to gain protection, LGBTQ plus business owners were forced to make deals with the mob who were only slightly less aggressive than the police. By 1960, most of downtown was caught in a war between organized crime and law enforcement with plenty of corruption and overlap between the two parties. I mean, that's always the case too, right? The mm -hmm. mob is paying off the police. The police are working for the mob, but they're double crossing because they're working yep. for different mob bosses. Bearing the brunt of the violence were queer folks and people of color. City Commissioner Frank Rizzo made a coordinated strike against drug dealers, sex workers, and homosexuals. A trifecta he simply deemed the undesirables. Just like, uh, isn't that what Hillary Clinton said? She said deplorables. <laughs> God, what a dumb, what a dumb thing to say. I'm going to call half the country deplorables. Not that I agree with the, the, yeah. the people oh, who voted for Trump, but, but like, you just don't do that. From a political perspective, yeah. just not great. Yep. And I don't know why she lost. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real good reasons why Hillary lost, right? <laughs> Just like uh, like decades of corruption and covering up shit wasn't going to come back to bite her in the ass. <laughs> so over the next 20 years, raids on gay bars and queer spaces would reach their peak in police harassment. So like well, now we're in 1960 to 1980. This was constant in mm -hmm. Philadelphia and in, and everyone was just caught in the middle of it's it. That era of um, who the fuck was president? You know who I mean. Kennedy. No, after no. that. Reagan. Oh, no, Nixon. Nixon? Oh, well, when no, was No, you go Reagan? Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon. When was no, Reagan? No, no, Kennedy, Johnson. Reagan John was the 80s, wasn't he? Yeah, 80s, yeah. Kennedy, Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We're in the 80s now. No, we're in the 60s. Oh. Kennedy, Johnson. I, I, I know this. No, Johnson, Ford, Nixon. Now you're making me mess question my well either way presence. it was a bunch of people who didn't <laughs> give a fuck about people that weren't like them yeah 
Where am I at? What am, am I reading this? You're at uh, in response. Okay, so it's at the start. In response to this increased violence, some LGBTQ plus people came together in 1961 with the original intention of forming a chapter of the Madison Society. Madison was the second gay rights group formed in the United States and had been around for a decade by this point. Unfortunately, the group was heading into a downward spiral due to internal conflicts and increased pressure from state and federal authorities. When the Philadelphia chapter submitted to become members, the application was rejected based on liability issues. All across the US, chapters were shutting down or fracturing off into their own organizations. So the queer Philadelphians decided to move forward and form their own form. <laughs> and so the queer Philadelphians decided to move forward on their own and formed the Janus Society of Delaware, later named the Janus Society of America. Not to be confused with the, so the Society of Janus, which was an early BDSM organization founded in the United I, States. I stumbled across that gym while I was studying this. And so be sure we are going to also oh, be covering yes. the, the Society of Janus. In the early days, absolutely. <laughs> yes. The LGBTQ plus group took their name from the Roman god Janus, who is known as the god of transitions reigning over both the beginning and the end of conflicts and changes. His image is two faces back to back, like bookends, with one representing the past and the other the future. So, yeah. It's a really interesting, like, concept. It is an interesting concept. And the name Janice comes up a couple different times in queer culture. Mm -hmm. um, in, in general, I was telling Samantha, like, queer peoples, especially white queer people's obsession with Roman and Greek mythology. Just I was, so when I was in school, I was obsessed with Greek mythology. Yeah. It's like, if you're obsessed with Greek or Roman mythology, you're probably gay. Right. I'm just like, going to throw that out there. The daughters of Belitis, right? Even Madison had some ties to Greek. It's because, because it was, I think all of the art and imagery of that time is so queer friendly. And it's like, yeah. you just look at it. It's naked men, naked women, like all intertwining. They were all about like sexual liberation. So I mm -hmm. think we just connect with them like yeah. that was like how life should be like why the fuck are we so conservative about everything why the fuck is everybody worried about what everybody else is doing it was an expression it was celebrated and mm -hmm. it was acceptable to have that like you couldn't just have a picture of a a man uh in your era who is naked in your home but you could have a naked roman statue in your home oh, yeah, so these it were all even be ways questioned. you could do that mm-hmm so having their name confirmed, the Janus Society worked to improve conditions in their city as best as possible. They received a boost of awareness from the popular magazine Greater Philadelphia in 1962 when the outlet read a piece on the legal disparities gay Philadelphians faced. The same year, the Janus Society joined the Echo Coalition, East Coast Homophile Organizations, and in 1963, they hosted the first Echo Conference. The conference drew members from LGBTQ groups across the states, including the New York and Washington chapters of the Madison Society and the Daughters of Belitis. Frank Kameny, possibly the most well-known gay man in America at this time, spoke at the convention and would return to Philadelphia regularly to give lectures and help the struggling organization. We will, uh, I keep saying we're going to cover Frank Kameny. I think we might cover him in um, June of this year because he's such a pivotal member mm -hmm. uh, or person in U.S. queer history. Um, but he was the man who first filed a lawsuit around gay rights. And really, for the first 15 years of the gay rights movement, it was Frank just basically running the movement, doing everything himself. Yeah. Sometimes you, you got to do it. Yeah. If nobody else is going to step up, sometimes you have to take the reins. Yeah. Kameni, like most of the groups in the Echo Coalition, ran, a, ran things on a platform of respectability. 
This strategy was presented as a way of appealing to white, straight, middle, and upper-class Americans. Women were encouraged to dress in feminine attire, and men were instructed to embrace a masculine persona. In some groups, such as the Daughters of Belitis, members were even asked to leave an event or meeting if their attire or mannerisms did not fit their assigned binary gender role. This form of upless, up this form of uplift suasion has been used in minority groups forever. The belief that marginalized people should prove their worthiness rather than simply claiming it, than claiming it. Unfortunately, this excluded many in the queer community while imposing racist restrictions and completely erasing anyone who didn't fit into the binary system. And I hate that we see this again and again in history. Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, okay, everybody, yes, we're all queer, but like, you know, we just gotta try to fit in like everybody else. And just, you know, when you're at the office, make sure you don't act too gay. You know, when you're, you know, just mm -hmm. make sure you don't make, you don't want to stand out. You yeah. want to make sure everybody looks exactly the same because that's the only way we can get anything. Exactly. And also we have to also note the racist um, connotations of it because it is often appearing and sounding white, right? Like yes. that's also considered respectable. If you're too loud, if you're a Latina who's too loud, that's not respectable, right. which just means you're not being white because white people are civilized right. and other cultures are not civilized. It goes back to that racist mm -hmm. assumption. So it's very much so you had to, and when, when they talk about, um, it wasn't just that you wore clothing that was considered respectable your clothing also had to mirror white culture right so if black women were wearing pants and were dressing or maybe even uh, other kinds of fashions if that wasn't considered feminine enough by white standards then you couldn't wear those clothing right and this was all and part of this is that with Kameni he really was he was a very he was a scientist and we've talked about this before but he was a scientist very analytical and very strategic and he was like this is how we're going to get people to see us and in a, a small respect that was true people would notice you you wouldn't appear as a threat but what are you really gaining by that right you know you're not gaining yourself you're gaining a fake image that you're presenting to the yep. world and so he had come to it and he was the one who really pushed this and other groups joined jumped on board as did the Janus Society, but then that changed. And that's why I like this story and the Janus Society because that's where we really see a shift. Yeah. So it is exactly this type of thinking that separates the gay rights movement from queer liberation. And it dates all the way back to the earliest groups and gatherings. The Janus Society was no exception to this rule. However, they would eventually become one of the first formal organizations to break away from the pattern of conformity and assimilation. One of the first steps of their own transformation was the introduction of a new leader, Clark Pollack. Pollack was a gay Jew and unabashed about his sexuality, a direct contrast to Khamenei and other leaders of the day. In 1964, Clark took the small Janus newsletter and turned it into a national magazine. Drum Magazine was named after a line in Walden, the famous book by Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau wrote, If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears the beat of a different drummer. It's a brilliant way to take a, a, a such a powerful statement and like turn it into something yeah and when that goes that line like you march to a different drum like that's kind of where that all comes from and yeah. where queer people have always been you know we we march to a different drum beat yeah the magazine was an instant success partly because it shed the same being the shame uh, partly because it's shame partly yeah the magazine was an instant success partly because it shed the shame being shrouded <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I couldn't fucking read that around the queer community while also addressing real and relevant issues of the day. 
Pollock uh, talked openly about sex, published male frontal nudity, and printed the first gay comic strip, Harry Chess, The Man from Auntie, a spoof of the popular spy television show called The Man from Uncle. Within two years, the magazine would become the most popular LGBTQ periodical in the States. The publication gained a regular stream of revenue for Janus and put the organization on the national stage. While we cannot be certain of how the following events would have unfolded had Pollock not been the leader of Janus, it is doubtful that the resistance at Dewey's restaurant would have uh, birthed a new age of protest in Philadelphia. So Pollock was really, again, very much about sexual liberation, mm-hmm. very much outside the box, very much considered a rebel. He ran a couple of um, like adult bookstores, which was especially in this area, an adult bookstore was basically like a, a porn. I don't want to say porn store today, but a sex shop today. Yeah. You know, you weren't just buying books there. Right. You had to know what to ask. And you, a lot of times you'd be taken to a back room or down to a basement where mm-hmm. there would be other things. But you also were having peep shows were being run in these places. Yeah. There were hookups happening uh, that you could buy toys and, and all kinds of things. But the front was a bookstore. Right. So just like the gay and lesbian leaders of the time, Dewey's restaurant also believed in upholding a level of respectability in its establishment. And like the gay leaders, this also meant excluding trans and gender diverse individuals from their space. For many years, the diner had continued to welcome queer folks into their establishment, even as other local eateries posted signs in their windows banning LGBTQ folks from entering. And I didn't put it in there, but there's, you know, there were signs that were literally like, no Fs allowed, you know, like it was very blatant. But in early 1965, this began to change as the restaurant management instructed staff to deny service to unruly bands of gender diverse teenagers. So there was specifically against teens who were dressing and what they considered uh, you know, a gen- or <laughs> yeah. crazy or out too out there. A defiance of the gender binary. Right. So it could have even just been like, you know, queer uh, lesbians wearing pants or right. it could, you know, it, uh, queer men having makeup on their face, anything. Mm-hmm. So they weren't banning teens in general, just these queer right. gender diverse teens. The staff then took the ban to further links and began denying service to anyone they deemed as queer. Their standards included homosexuals, masculine women, feminine men, or persons wearing non-conformist clothing. Frustrated at this sudden change, a few teens reached out to the Janus Society for support. On April 25th, more than 150 LGBTQ people and their allies descended onto Dewey's to demand service. What was unique about this protest was the deliberate refusal to conform to the so-called respectable standards. Once again, the Janus Society shrugged off their imposed roles and embraced their true identities. The reformers showed up and presented themselves to the restaurant in their truest form. They were denied service. Clark and a few others were arrested for disorderly conduct. Dewey's thought they had won, but the next day, protesters showed up again. And the next day, and the day following that, for seven days, people continued to show up, demanding service. During this time, the Janus Society printed more than 1,500 flyers and circulated them in the area. On May 2nd, another group marched to the diner and demanded to be seated. This time, there were no arrests, and shortly after, Dewey's ended its ban on queer customers. Don't piss off the queer community. (laughs) We got nothing better to do. Look, we will show up. We're going to show up every day. Yeah. Especially in a time where, you know, you might not necessarily have, um, like, a lot of these people might not have had uh, employment, especially if they were really, like... Uh, against gender norms and things mm-hmm. um, like you saw a lot of people were yeah. doing like sex work and things like that so they're gonna fucking show up mm-hmm. so yeah you want to really fuck with them like okay pushing but, them on the streets yeah I mean and then you had 150 people show up and you didn't serve them how much fucking money did you lose on like what exactly. a fucking dumb business mistake 
Exactly. Hello? Your diner probably can't even hold 150 people, or that's like the max, and you're right. not doing that. And this was, it was taken from obviously the, the very successful sit ins that the Black Rights Movement had been doing for about a decade before this, right. where they would go to a diner and they would sit in. James Baldwin actually left the entire country after a sit in when he was denied service as a black man. Mm -hmm. And so this had been going on for a while. And again, as we talk about all the time, the intersecting identity of queer people of color. So people of color were already protesting and they brought that idea to the white movement and said, let's do this. And in some places like the Madison Society of Washington and the Daughters of Belitis, they rejected those ideas. They called them unruly and they weren't going to do that. And and they did that specifically because it was tied to the black civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. But in the Janus Society, the Janus Society woke up and realized this is our community and this is works. And we again, it's not it's not trying to request that you approve me. It's demanding that you uh, you approve of me as I am. Exactly. Blogger Alex Fry writes of the incident. It the synod was a stark rejection of prior stance of other homophile organizations such as Madison that had built up its reputation on appearing presentable and employable. The support of the Janus Society for those who dressed in a non-conformance manner, such as masculine women and feminine men, preempted this division and would continue throughout the homophile movement. Fry's words sum up the importance of the sit-ins. From that point on, the Janus Society was seen as a rebel by the mainstream gay rights movement. But the victory was a large win for LGBTQ plus people as a whole and sparked a wave of open activism in Philadelphia. That summer, the first annual July 4th reminder protest began and ran for the next five years. Like other marginalized groups such as black civil rights protests, July 4th served as a reminder that all Americans were not, in fact, equal. However, the society itself did not have much longer to live. In 1967, Clark Pollock's home was raided and he was arrested on obscenity charges for having books on gay issues and pictures of naked men. Think about that. Like, mm-hmm. That's it. Now today, everybody just has porn on their computer and nobody gives a fuck. On their phone. They're walking their, around yeah. with porn. They're sitting at the bus stop watching porn. That's true. And he has it in hit boxes in his home and they come in and they take yeah. mm-hmm. The judge threw out the case because of an improper warrant, yet 23 months later, Clark was again arrested for publishing obscene materials and running a peep show. He was sentenced to two years in prison but was paroled after two months, feeling the heat of Philadelphia was too great. Pollock closed down the the magazine and headed to the West Coast. He would commit suicide a decade later at the age of 43. In his absence, the Janus Society folded and ended its reign just a few months before the Stonewall Riots of 1969. But the queer revolution was not dead in the city, nor has it yet been extinguished um, since the first flames of resistance in the early 1960s. And again, like I, I get, you don't know where things would have been, but the, having a leader like Clark Pollock in this area was so important. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it took a toll on him. I mean, clearly, it was it's draining. Very, it was incredibly draining for, but for almost a decade, he ran the. You know, he ran for for five years. He was the head leader, but for almost a decade, he was instrumental in leading the LGBTQ organization, LGBTQ community. And I believe that him organizing after the Dewey's um, initial sit-in or initial protest is what made it such such an successful event. Mm -hmm. Because in any other case, it would have been just another restaurant putting up another sign in their their diner that says, we're not serving the queers anymore. And 
Polak took that and he made it a movement. And then that sparked other movements. The July Absolutely. 4th protests were huge. I mean, that's where Barbara Giddings got her for her feet wet with activism. That's mm-hmm. why there's a road in Philadelphia today called Barbara Giddings Way. It's because of these things. Yep. There's actually a plaque there. I've seen it. It's beautiful. Wow. You should go. If you ever in Philadelphia, anyone, go check it out. We should uh, one day do like a big queer meetup in Philadelphia. Oh, my God. I would love it. I Yeah, I would love it. Well, I basically do that I, until Corona. I basically did that once a year at the Trans Philly Yeah, conference. but we could do like, we should do like a, a year queer story meetup. Not that anybody would show up. We'd be the only ones there, but. Well, we could definitely do it during the uh, Trans Philly conference. We can host a, a oh, table fun. like we've been saying we were going to do forever. That'd be fun. And we could have a, we could have a meetup mm-hmm. um, because it's beautiful. And, and you can do, well, I'll tell you, today Dewey's is no longer there, but you can visit Philly's beautiful neighborhood in the heart of the center city. It's easy to find as the street signs and crosswalks bear rainbow markers. There's even an LGBTQ history tour available available for those interested in exploring the city's rich queer roots. And the HRC has awarded Philadelphia 100 out of 100 points for inclusion and diversity in laws, policies, and services. And your recommended resources are Out in Central Pennsylvania, The History of an LGBTQ Community by William Burton and Barry Loveland. It's a new book. It's only a couple months old. Check it out. Or check out the podcast category is hosted by two black queer Philadelphians. That sounds like a great podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's not a history podcast, but it's just like it's a like queer, queer stuff. Yeah. yeah, queer stuff in Philadelphia, queer businesses. That's and, awesome. And so yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So I guess with that, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And little succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus in the basement of a Philadelphian sex book Please store. Please do or don't. And And Black Black Lives Lives Matter. Matter. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.